0: into the ad industry is no easy task. Hearing the break-in stories, however, of advertising trailblazers can empower us to forge our own break-in schemes. In this episode, I interview Roy Milton, who is an Associate Creative Director at VML Y&R in Kansas City. As well, he is recently awarded the 2020 AAF Kansas City Trailblazer of the Year, which cements him as the perfect guest We had a great conversation about his family, his come up, and his creative background. He stresses the importance of engaging in those side passion projects that spark creativity. As well, the importance of staying involved and giving back to your local community. Because being in touch with your your community and yourself is the best way to understand human truths, which can be applied to all of advertising and all targets across the world. So, head over to Instagram at enteringad. You can find us at enteringad once again to find all of Roy's recommended resources, additional advice, and cool graphics. If you could give this episode five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to us. So, without further ado, this is the Breaking and Entering podcast, and I am your accomplice, Gino Schellenberg. Kick it, Mikey. welcome to the Breaking and Entering Podcast. How you doing? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, to be here and to talk with you. Cool. Well, we're excited, too. Um, Associate Art Director. Is that correct?
1: Associate Creative Director. Associate
0: uh, Creative Director at VML Y&R. Great agency nowadays. Yeah. A lot going on. We're definitely busy. That's good. That's good. And you're staying busy throughout the pandemic still?
1: Yeah, in fact, in in many cases we've actually picked up business quite a bit. So, it's definitely keeping us busy.
0: Nice. Nice. Um so yeah, I'm super excited to talk about your story. Um VML and YNR were two separate agencies at one point. They combined, they merged and now they're like this super um agency out there that I am sure a lot of students know about. You guys were I don't know, AdAge talks about you guys a lot. I got my Copy here. Um, I think it's pretty well known. So, there's, I mean, how would you define VML, YR now? Or just is it one of your traditional ad agencies? What do you say from your end?
1: Well, I think at our core and the founding and the origins of the agency is digital at, at heart. Uh, when VML uh, was first founded, um, it was a, a, a digital or web services company, essentially, uh, we created massive. Um, you know websites and microsites for clients um and and so at its at its core it has always been about providing digital experiences for for customers and for clients alike
0: gotcha gotcha and now when you hear that uh, as a creative person yourself does that get you excited or is it kind of gross you out digital
1: you know it definitely gets me excited i think um you know going back to maybe 10 years ago 15 years ago no one really knew what digital meant um, and that was before iphone before text messaging mm-hmm. um, so it was a it was a big unknown it was like well what is this digital thing and seeing the transformation in the last you know decade or more has been exciting also it has been um, you know a new challenge everything is a new challenge because behaviors of consumers and people are changing. So uh, it's definitely something that no day is alike and it continues to evolve for us.
0: Yes. Well, technology is evolving a lot as well. So that makes sense. Um, as well, on top of the VML, YNR agency, you're also he- here. Uh, I see you're involved in the AAF. Uh, you want to touch upon what your what role you are in that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, this is my first time um, being on the AAF board here in Kansas City. Nice. Um, you know, my my role and desire for joining the board was two reasons. One, I wanted to do what I could to get involved in the local community here in Kansas City and help bring about change um, and to build relationships, build connections um, here in the city and in the community. And then the second reason was I wanted to also um, be involved and step up for representation purposes as well, because um, the more that there are uh, Black creatives, Black uh, advertising professionals that are serving on boards, that are volunteering their time, getting involved and rolling up their sleeves at a local level, the more that change can actually happen for younger Black, brown, and minority and BIPOC um, students that might be that are the future of this industry, quite honestly.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many great uh, programs. I want to give a shout out to the AAF. Um, I, I interviewed Steve Pacheco and I was a, originally a student in the AAF. Um, just all the programs they have, uh, the MPM, MPMS uh, program is just, I think their applications are out right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's never been a greater time and a greater need for young students uh, to find internships, thing like right now, where so many internships uh, programs were actually put on pause or or canceled altogether because of um, the quarantine and, and COVID nineteen.
0: Yes, yes, and maybe we can hint at some advice that you'll have, you have for those students that are looking for internships and for full time jobs towards the end of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. So you're obviously doing great things. You're very involved. Um, but let's let's throw it back. So, where are you from? What made you say I want to do this advertising thing? Yeah. So, um, interesting enough,
1: I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas, born and raised. Most of my family is still there. Um, small town, but also, you know, the biggest town in Arkansas. And um, you know, I, I came from a family that was uh, very creative and and very unique. Uh, Middle class family. And uh, my dad was actually a talented artist, uh, really, really great uh, artist and, and drawer, and was very creative. He's always been very creative and hands on, whether it's tinkering with cars, which he's done and, and rebuilt cars, to, um, you know, I remember younger years where he actually used to paint and, and sell his paintings uh, on the weekends. So naturally, I kind of had a creative bent and, 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 you know, focused on drawing and focused on art as a young person. Uh, And crazy enough, I when I was younger in school, um, I wanted to be an architect, which I actually find pretty common amongst art directors or just those that are in the creative field. Many people I've talked to had an interest in in architecture. Um, However, I completely sucked at math. I was just not very good. I didn't enjoy it. Um, And so I naturally gravitated just more towards graphic design. I thought that I would do, um, you know graphic design posters and album covers, like a lot of graphic yeah. designers did early on, um, you know, years ago. And, uh, and I did do some of that stuff. And then naturally, uh, obviously, as we talked about at the beginning, the industry began to change and transform into this more uh, about digital and multimedia used to be the term before it was even digital. Sure. So I naturally just kind of found my my way into the industry uh, with a lot of work and A lot of uh, grind and grit I guess you could say so um, that's that's kind of my background but yeah in Arkansas I didn't have any mentors that were in the industry no one I knew around me was doing advertising or even design Uh, but I knew that it was something that I wanted to be a part of and I wanted to pursue as a career field pretty early on Mm -hmm. so you know I I had to I had to leave um, you know Arkansas and leave my my comfort zone really to find other ways to get into this thing of being a graphic designer and being creative.
0: Yeah. So you, you, you kind of, you had this kind of vision, like, so you, you, you stumbled upon graphic design. You just said that you had to leave and um, get outside of that area to, to grow. So where did you go? So after high school, so when I was actually uh,
1: so interesting enough in my junior to senior year, Um, I completely changed sat down with my high school counselor, who was actually pushing me to be in a lot of AP classes at the time in order to get my credits up for for college. And uh, I was like, I don't want to go to college. I don't want to go to like normal school. I want to pursue art. And so I ended up um, finding this program in my junior year uh, into my senior year where I could um, still get college credit, but go to a vocational tech school and. Um, This was in 1997, 98, I believe, and was the first time in my first time actually being exposed to um, graphic design or even just as we called it back then, commercial art and computer graphics. So uh, half of the day in in, uh, high school, I went to normal classes and then the other half I would leave and go on campus to a vocational tech school and still earn sort of towards college credit. And that was where I actually took my computer graphics and um, commercial art uh, class. And I believe that that was my first time being exposed to Adobe Illustrator, which was probably like Illustrator four or five or something. Um, So that was really kind of the the catalyst that really got me forward. Um, And then I ended up and actually, interestingly enough. It was during one of the classes at the Votech where someone from the Art Institute came um as a speaker to show student portfolios, graduate student portfolios of graphic design. Sure. And it was that moment that I locked in. I said, that's what I want to do. And I did. I actually um, applied for the Art Institute of Atlanta, gotten accepted before my senior year actually had started. Um nice. and and my family and I, we we uh flew down to Atlanta and went and visited the campus. Um And um, got accepted, but ended up having to transfer to Dallas because it was too expensive for my parents to uh, afford uh, a four year bachelor's degree in graphic design. So um, I transferred to Dallas and um, got an associate's degree where it was a little less expensive, but still was, you know, pretty, pretty pricey for my parents at that time.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So what was that school called that you transferred to?
1: The Art Institute of Dallas.
0: Um, Nice. Yeah. So you and the major at that time was called what again? Commercial.
1: Yeah, it was it was commercial art and computer graphics. Wow. Um, Yeah, commercial art and computer graphics. So uh, you know, yeah, we learned to draw, you know, Bezier curves and um, all those things, and and do you know compositions and of graphic design, and and we were high school kids essentially, and. Most of us did not take that class very serious, but for me, uh, it was something that I I knew that I wanted to pursue, even though I didn't know what that looked like, because there was no one around me doing it. So um, I I really just kind of had to set a path and and just go on it, even though I didn't know what that would look like.
0: Right, right. And you kind of put yourself in environments that were similar and would foster that creativity. Uh, Those student portfolios is what really drew you in, huh? Yeah, it was that moment seeing that because I knew that I
1: wanted to do something creative. I knew that I wanted to do something um, that sort of had a bigger purpose, you know, because art can be for self-expression or it can just be art for the sake of being art. But seeing the graphic design where it was art actually communicating a higher purpose or message, uh, it really intrigued me as a high school student. And again, I didn't even know what advertising was, uh, but I knew that that was something that looked appealing to me as a you know 16 year old
0: kid 17 year old kid sure so when did you connect the dots between the the graphic design and then advertising itself
1: i think it wasn't until i went into the art institute of dallas um so i graduated high school and i literally did not take any time off Uh, i remember graduating um from mcclellan high school in little rock arkansas and then. A month later, uh, my parents we packed up the car and actually drove me to Dallas to drop me off for school because I started in the summer session. Wow! So I yeah. started, uh, I think, the first week in July of of uh, nineteen. What was it, nineteen ninety nine? So I, I didn't. I just jumped right
0: in. <laughs> wow! So, so with those classes and that experience there, what was that like? Were you able to kind of carve out the path where you knew you would get into advertising? Yeah, so it
1: as I as I was exposed to the courses and the curriculum and the instructors, um, it really began to click for me. And it was really by my own initiative, because it was one I was I was 17 years old, I actually graduated and started school when I was 17. And then I turned 18. Um, in, in that September. Yeah. So I was so young and it was the first time that I was out on my own and yeah. away from my parents. I didn't have any family in Dallas, um, so I had no one to really rely on. And it was sort of the first moment that I had to put my big boy pants on and actually yep. like, I'm, if I'm going to do this, I have to go all in and, and really uh, give it. And over the course of you know the semesters, I learned and poured myself into graphic design and and into my instructors and I, for, I was fortunate enough to have some really great instructors and I actually had one instructor later in my, my course uh, education that was very very difficult very very hard on me um, actually failed me the first time that I had his class wow. and then I and then I took it again was more serious um, and you know we actually kept in contact for a number of years even after I graduated and started working in the industry he actually invited me to come back to talk to other students. And I remember him, you know, telling me one day that I knew that there was something about you that um, could be good in this industry and, and be a great designer. And that's why I was so hard on you, because I right. wanted you to reach your potential. So it, it really started to kind of click for me once I got into it. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Wow. And sometimes those tough professors are you know, they care about you the most. So I think that's proof right there. And he probably he's probably been a mentor for you. Yeah. Oh, he definitely was for sure. Yeah. Nice. So you worked hard. And then as as uh, as you went on with that. That program, did you realize that you had to get, uh, you know, a higher education at that point? Was that was that just a stepping stone? When did that click for you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I, as a student uh, at the time at the Art Institute, everyone, like the Art Institute of Dallas, um, it might have, it might have actually moved now, but um, we actually were connected and shared the same parking lot with the Richards Group. And that was to me, that was like the biggest agency in the world, because I didn't know anything else. And I remember like we could literally out of the classroom windows could look out and see the the Richards Group building uh, across the parking lot and every student wanted to go there and actually one of my professors, uh, David below, who is now a, uh, a professor and uh, graphic design. Um, adjunct professor in Washington um, was actually working at uh, the Richards group at the time. And, uh, and so he was working there and then he also taught at the Art Institute of Dallas. So it was almost like, okay, I want to try to find a way to be like b you know, to be like b was our, was, you know, many of our our thing. And, um, you know, it's, it started to click for me over time, but, uh, it wasn't immediate, but I just had to pour myself. I'm, I'm not even sure if I answered the question or not.
0: No, you did. You did. I think, um, I I just find these stories so interesting because the creative track is so different, especially maybe nowadays where, you know, for the most part, you have to make a pretty big choice as an undergrad, whether you're going to go to those portfolio schools or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I will also say the other thing that I learned as a young student, um, even before I became a young professional, as I was applying for jobs, I started to notice that the job descriptions were beginning to change. And this was right when, um, you know, this was maybe like just before the, I, the first iPhone was invented uh, by Steve Jobs. And the, and what was interesting, was at the Art Institute at that time, if you wanted to be a design student, you had to take graphic design courses. If you wanted to do anything related to web or website design, you had to take the multimedia design track. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it wasn't really connected. Whereas you think about now, if you're a designer, it's all about experience design. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, creating for broadcasts or digital, or you're creating for uh, web applications or mobile applications, design is just design. But back then it was so linear um, and it was a specific track. So I didn't take, multimedia courses and learn web design. I actually, in fact, had one web design course and it was actually web coding where we had to code HTML. We had to hard code it.
0: Ooh.
1: And that course actually, I, I I think I got a B in that course. Nice. Um, and we the end result was that we had to design a website and then actually hand code it in HTML when I was able to do that. Um, But as I started to notice over the years as a young professional starting out, the job descriptions were changing. And it was like, you're a graphic designer and must know multimedia design or must know HTML. And it was like, okay, well, I I guess I need to pick up a book and learn more about HTML in order to stay employed and get a job, right? Because it started transitioning. So a lot of the skills that I have today, we're not really actually taught in school because when I started, things were completely different. So I had to learn and take the initiative to pick up books. Like I, I taught myself how to how to code in CSS. Never took one CSS class. Like in school, uh, I've done online classes, but I know how to code in CSS. I can write code to this day. Um, if and I can speak and help with developers uh, that are working on projects because. I'm kind of self-taught in a lot of things
0: that's probably super useful for today I mean in in general, I'm sure that's helped you a lot in your career being able to speak to the code and the the design of everything. Do you recommend students do that today if they if they have that option?
1: Yeah, and you know, I've had mentors that have have spoken to me about uh, being uh, a like you want to be a T, like a, the letter T yeah. as in Tony. You want to be a T-shaped person where right. you have uh, experience and skills in a lot of different things. But you might have that one thing that you go, you know, vertically deep down in. Like you might be one of the go-to experts for. But right. having knowledge and information and experience in a lot of things can, can help out in so many different ways today.
0: What would you say... In the T sense, what's the depth, the skill that you have the most depth with, or in?
1: That's a really good question. I think um, I think my people skills and um, my my ability to be able to understand people is a really great thing. I think because of my background and because of my experiences uh, and multicultural experiences and and being around a lot of different types of people, uh, it actually helps me think even as a creative about boiling my ideas down and boiling my work down to a basic human truth because I understand people, right? And that I think is a very, uh, that can be a superpower because you wanna always create work that people can relate to. Yes, you yeah. have to create work that's on strategy, that's on brief for the client. But at the end of the day, we're marketing the people. And, you know, we, we use terms a lot in this industry, like, you know, millennial or the demographic or what's the target. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're just people. And if you know how to be a good person, you know how to be uh, someone that can connect with people, that understands people, that understands how people think, uh, what drives their decision um, even when they say they do one thing or they believe in one thing but they actually their behaviors actually show something different. if mm-hmm. you can understand the difference between the two, um, you can always find ways to
0: create relevant work and stay relevant. interesting. and I'm sure that takes a lot of a good amount of time and experience to to get a understanding for. I mean a, a coming out of college, I'm sure, not a lot of us will have that, um, maybe some more than others, but to apply it to the work setting is even is another skill in itself.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's not it, it. It can be taught. It can be learned um, over time. It's not something that you just jump into over time. And the reason why is because people's behavior is always changing. Right. So being connected to culture. Being connected to um, diverse groups of people and diverse thinkers actually improves your people skills because you uh, can understand different behaviors.
0: Right, 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 right. How do you stay um, in tune with various cultures today? Um, I, I think
1: naturally through... Uh, my organic relationships uh, yeah. are are important, um, you know, which is why I, I do so much in or or try to find ways to do things within the local community and the local ad community, building relationships, having conversations with individuals, uh, even just like yourself, you know, understanding your background, what drives and motivates you, um, continues to help me in the conversation of being connected to culture and understanding that. Hey, you know what, not everybody thinks like I do. Not everyone has the same experience. And also knowing that just by listening to someone else is experience, I can gain something from that.
0: And it's, 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 it's really smart that I guess it makes sense to me as well. Being in tune with your own um, local community is kind of it's, it's probably a representation of a larger scale setting too. If you go out to these different spots and you understand who, what these people are thinking, what they're doing, people are people, right? I mean, that's probably a really good practice and element to, to understand um, people as a whole.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And observing people, observing the different dynamics that people have, the different motivations, what drives them. And all at the end of it is, is just about listening, right? Is, is, it's listening to what's said and listening to what's not said and, and you're observing being a sponge in environments and in communities is is the key.
0: Yeah And then how do you I mean how do you tie it back to the work then? Um, you're out there you understand people and where do, as a as a creative um, role in your at, at VMLYNR, how how can you take those experiences and directly apply it in that setting?
1: That's a good question. Um, I was actually having a discussion with um, a young graduate student yesterday who was a part of the uh, Where Are All the Black People Conference, which is uh, a conference that is about shining light and exposure on uh, young Black talent that is trying to break into the advertising industry. And the advice that I had given her was uh, be authentic, be yourself, and whatever you do to find inspiration that fuels you as a creative, um, it will find its way into your work in some way or another. Um, you know, I I met uh, a young lady once before that um, was it she was um, she was Japanese. And so uh, she was a fantastic art director. And but she had a side hobby of uh, actually hand carving these little miniature dolls and little miniature elements. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the practice of doing that, she eventually ended up having a online Etsy store, sold it. Right. And, um, you know, was able to, to do amazing work. I think she used to work for either um, AKQA or RGA. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, but finding the things that inspire you um, as a creative, because uh, it could be, whether you crochet, whether you paint, whether you, um, whether you make music. Uh, a lot of my friends in Austin that, um, you know, when I lived in Austin, Texas, you know, we, we all uh, we were we had a, a bicycle group uh, where we all used to ride road bikes together. And our group was pretty large. Um, you know, I think there was an average of about 20 to 30 of us that would ride two times a week uh, on Tuesdays mm-hmm. and Thursdays. And what was so interesting was most of the people that wrote with us were in the creative field. They were designers. They were art directors. They were art buyers. Uh, they worked in agencies. They were account guys. There was even a, there was even a, a guy in our group, uh, a writer that was a lawyer, but he was a copyright lawyer. So he huh. dealt a lot with creatives who were trying to establish copyrights and, pay, and trademarks and patents for things. So you know whatever you do as a creative, that fuels you, that keeps you energized, those things actually can find its way into your work and, and actually give you that inspiration that you need. What about um, maybe sneakers and customizing them? Oh, that's, that's huge for me. I mean, yep, it, yep. Um, you know, I, I, I always loved sneakers as a kid. I think what uh, <laughs> the reason why is, you know, when I was a kid um, growing up, watching Michael Jordan play, and wanting to own a pair of Jordans, they were too expensive for my parents, uh, and so I ended up, you know, in the uh, in the fall and the winters, and, and even in the summers, I used to mow people's lawns or rake leaves to save up money to buy buy my own sneakers. Um, and I've always loved that, and that that kind of gave me a connection to it. And and now, you know, obviously I'm I'm a sneakerhead and collector and buyer, um, buy sneakers. Um, and then I've always loved to draw and paint, right? I've painted. I've there's uh, lots of pieces of artwork in our house that I've painted I've painted for family and friends um, and those two have merged in my life in the in the last three four years where I actually um, restore sneakers that that are old or vintage collectibles I restore them or I can I customize sneakers too so I'll, I'll buy a sneaker and and actually change the colorway to it or put a theme on it you know um, nice. And, and so that even, even that finds its way into, into my work. So
0: yeah, I think a lot of the side hobbies we have, um, and our passions really can somehow influence the work we have in the office. What's the best, um, what's your favorite Jordan shoe? Ooh.
1: Um, so I'm a big Jordan one fan. I have a lot of Jordan ones Right. Um, and they can, yeah, it's a
0: classic silhouette. Um. Yeah. I, I think, a lot of people say that's probably number one, but that's yeah, it's fair. Yeah,
1: I, w- I would also say I think the other thing that um even like when the the re-release of the Jordan 11 Concord was a big oh, yeah. deal for me because I remember watching Jordan in the finals and and wearing those, and it was like it was an awe. It, I mean, yeah. seeing him step on the court with those, and everybody's like what are those shoes? What are they, you know? <laughs> uh, Cause no one has seen a, a basketball shoe with patent leather on it like that before. It mm-hmm. was so revolutionary. So when they re-released, it was such a big deal for me. Uh, yeah. So I had to get a pair. So I think that's that's probably uh, one of my favorite. Now that I will be honest though, as much as I love that shoe, it is not the most comfortable shoe <laughs> because, yeah. Of, yeah. because of the carbon the carbon, uh, foot plate on the bottom. Um, is very hard. And I have no idea how Jordan played in those, but uh,
0: it's crazy. <laughs> what he in. Um, Shout out to juice, who, my good friend. He says the 11s are the best by far.
1: Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're so iconic. You see it. There's no yeah. shoe out there that yeah. looks even close to it.
0: All right. So let's get back to advertising that yeah. I, I had to ask that. Um, So we talked about kind of like your your passions. And I love I love talking to creative people because our creatives in the industry. Cause we always, it always comes to that conversation. Um, what you're passionate about, what helps you stay relevant culturally, what keeps you in the loop and just like something to sit down to when you get home and um, to remind you why you do what you do. It's so important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Because um, I mean, we're, we're just, we're, all we're doing is
1: creating ads and work, right? Like we're, we're, we're actually not, you know, heart surgeons we're not no. saving lives to the point to where it's it's immediate life or death and someone's on our table you know what i mean it feels
0: like that sometimes it, does. it really yeah, does or, feel like that i'm not even in the industry and <laughs> i already kind of see that from people and feel that so that's a good reminder yeah we just we, yeah we just try to have fun <laughs> and that makes for better work um I know working from home might be a little bit different but you know that's why agencies are fun places are supposed to be alive and you know foster creativity it's there for a reason you should probably you know relax and smile and have fun sometimes but Oh absolutely. I want to get into so the heart of the show here is about breaking in to the industry real I want to hear about your how you got your first real advertising job when you when you said hey like, I did it, I'm here, this is what I want to do. How did you get there? What What was the application like? What was the interview like? Give me that story.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good, um, that's a really good point. Um, so when I got, when it came time for me to graduate from the Art Institute, because I think this really defined the trajectory of my career and it's so important, and I always remind, have to you know, look back on this, um, when it came time for my graduate portfolio um, and actually my student portfolio showing to get my first job right in the industry um, the actual portfolio show was like two weeks after 9-11 had happened Um, now that was a time where there were so many things going on in our country. And obviously, the first thing that happened that was impacted, were advertising agencies budgets, because no one knew what was going to happen if the country was under attack. And advertising budgets got slashed, um, people lost accounts. um, And so naturally, there was no hiring going on. Now, fortunately, for me, I was already working. uh, This wasn't advertising, but I was working a third shift job uh, at Auto Trader Magazine in uh, the HEB area in in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, And so after going to class in the day, I would go to work at night. And my job, (laughs) for anybody listening to this, you don't always start off at the top. It's going to be a grind to get to where you want to get, but you have to stay focused. So my job at auto trader as a production artist was literally opening up envelopes that I would get a box of envelopes and inside the envelopes were physical photographs of people who wanted to advertise their car in auto trader magazine no way and in that was not only just the photo but then it was an actual handwritten hand filled out form of all the details of their car my job as a production artist was to take that and to digitize that. So I would actually open up the envelope, set the form to the side, scan, physically scan the photograph um, on my scanner that was attached to my computer, import it into Quark Express, and then I would hand type the details of the car into the layout template for the magazine. And every night, as all of us who were production artists, we had to assemble so many pages of each auto trader magazine in order of the title in order to get it uh proofed and then from proofing to go to actually the other side of the building which was the press to actually start printing the magazine and assembling it together
0: that's and we did that
1: nightly so that was my first job as a graphic designer from that i actually um yeah i held that for a while until you know 9 11. Where people were starting to think about hiring, and I couldn't get a job. So I actually ended up moving into, um, I went nonprofit and I worked at my church, which was a mega church in Dallas, Texas, sure. uh, seven or 8,000 member church, and they had their own marketing department. So I worked in the marketing department as a graphic designer, eventually worked my way up to an art director, to a senior art director, to eventually um actually being the marketing director for a short period of time before I left there and went back into publishing to work for uh Fort Worth Texas magazine as an art director. Um and so in nonprofit I worked at nonprofit for almost seven years. Um, so
0: um that church had its own like in-house agency.
1: Yes. I mean, wow. it was a, it was about an 8,000 member church, okay. uh, over a nice. hundred different programs. Um, right. we, right. we actually, my, my job as the marketing director, we actually published a quarterly magazine, like a nice. full page colored magazine. Yep. Um, we actually had published authors that, that wrote, uh, you know, content and, and, uh, stories and, and different things in the magazine. So, so, you know, that was all coordinated. We actually actually end up establishing our own uh, print shop in-house as well. So we had a contract um, and we had several printers in-house where we could print because we were spending so much money contracting and printing out, whether it was like service programs, brochures, posters, all these things. So we actually ended up uh, signing a contract to bring in machines and brought in part-time staff to print stuff in-house. That's Um, legit. Yeah, yeah, and at that time I was I was probably twenty years old, twenty one years old. I had a marketing budget of like two to three hundred thousand dollars a year that I had to manage and wow. and apply for every year. I mean, it was crazy, but uh, it, was it was a lot young. of fun. Yeah, I was young. I learned a lot. I learned so much in that role. Um, yeah. So I did that, and then I went to Fort Worth, Texas magazine, and and uh, as a as an art director and did publishing there, photo shoots, of styling sure. for our fashion and editorial and. I mean, I I just didn't have a normal path into advertising. Um, And then uh, I moved from that to uh, my wife and I, we moved to Austin, Texas, and I worked for a casino and gaming uh, agency, their small agency in Austin, Texas. And uh, we did casino marketing and advertising and web design for uh, casinos and, and gaming and hospitality. So we had like you know, Choctaw Casinos, we had casinos in Washington that were clients. Uh, we had, um, you know, High Regency Lake Tahoe was a client. We had, and then we eventually moved into food and beverage. So I don't know if you're familiar with Chewy's Tex-Mex. Uh, Chewy's used to be a client of mine. So I did a lot of advertising and marketing for for Chewy's. I mean, it just, I just didn't have a normal path, but wherever my path led me, I learned something and and I grew and uh, and, and brought that experience with me. What's Chewie's? So Chewie's is actually a Tex-Mex restaurant.
0: Um I don't have that, that. I don't have that in Chicago.
1: Yeah, Ooh. so it's uh it's a Tex-Mex restaurant. It's it's pretty is regional. It is, it uh, a, is it fast food or chain? No. No, it's a it's a it's a private uh restaurant. Um hmm. you know, being in Texas, they were all over the place. Okay. Um yeah. there's one here in Kansas City actually, too. Hmm.
0: Huh. I'm just curious that caught my attention. Um, So, yeah, you didn't have you definitely didn't have a normal break in your lot of publishing. It seems like in that graphic design world. Um, When was that break into like that real uh, not real, but. uh, That agency experience, then when was that 2007?
1: Um, My break into agency experience was, yeah, that was about 2007. Um, At Sanders Wingo. Uh, uh, uh yeah, Sanders it. Wingo was actually my first major, major client because we were um, the F Af- and that that was also my first experience into um, multicultural marketing and advertising as well, because we were the advertising uh, agency, the African-American agency, of record for AT&T. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the the agency historically had other accounts as well, uh, like State Farm Insurance. Minnie, uh, Minnie Cooper was uh, a, a client and an account. Um, but then we also had a office in El Paso, which was actually the originating office. And so we did a lot in the El Paso area. Um, and, and that stretched across healthcare, care um, uh, utilities, um, some other businesses. Uh, I mean, it was, it was just quite a bit, but by nature, it was an agency, even just how it was formed um, by Bob Wingo and David Sanders was really kind of an enigma at the time, uh, very, very unique. And we've, you know, the agency was always very entrenched in culture, uh, whether it was, you know, Latin Latinx culture or African American culture. And they continue to do that today.
0: Nice. And then when did you leave there?
1: Um, I left Sanders Wingo in, um, when I came to Kansas City here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was 2017, I believe.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, good. Then, so obviously now you're at VML YNR. You're doing big things there. It's one of the biggest agencies in the world right now. That's WPP, am I correct? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the part of the largest holding company in the world, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. for advertising companies um uh, so and now you're also tied into the aaf which is uh hits home to me and a lot of my audience now so i think this is probably the most important part of the episode is giving back that experience now that you have and that advice from the experience to the listeners mm-hmm. um, you mentioned that uh you kind of were going through that portfolio review through a time that was post 9 11, like right after, right? You said like two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, That's, it was fairly recent after that. Yeah. And advertising is kind of a finicky uh, industry where if it's kind of like the first to go to a lot of businesses, if you know, it, it can be one of those first on, on the chopping block. Um, Absolutely. When organizations are threatened financially and especially with COVID, not so much. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm seeing a recovery. It's gradual now. Uh, when I started this podcast a couple months ago, it was real tough, but it seems to be recovering a little bit more now, but it's not the, um, right now it's not the best time to be a student or to be a recent graduate. I know a lot of my friends and are struggling, especially those that are in the creative track trying to break in. Right. So, um, just with all the experience that you have being at such a great agency with great clients that. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about, but I see a list here that are just fantastic. Um, What advice do you have for them? How do they, what should they be doing now to break in?
1: That's a great question. Um, So I think one of the most important things in building your network is, um, you know, what, as as an industry, one of the things that I've noticed and that we've always been about is, um, having people that can vouch for you, right? Um, and that can be very difficult and also very um, very daunting at times is that if you're new in the industry and you don't know a lot of people in the industry, um, you don't know a lot of creative directors who are looking at books by name or even by, by personal relationship, um, you can kind of feel like you're just another name on a piece of paper. But I think the most important thing is, you know, connect with people on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I've said to students here recently, is that with the cancellation of many internship programs uh, where students were hoping this would be their shot, their big break, yeah. connect with someone on LinkedIn, like offer to, um, you know, offer to, you know, see if they're interested in a 15 minute virtual coffee. Virtual coffees, you know, are the, are, are becoming the new norm in a sense. Yeah. Because as a creative director, you're busy, you're you've got projects, you're on deadlines, and you may not have an hour to devote to uh, talking to someone who might be a potential candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little bit easier to commit to fifteen minutes to have a 15 minute conversation, virtual coffee, to take mm-hmm. a look at someone's book, right? Um, and give them career advice.
0: Cool. So the personal
1: the personal relationships are important. Connecting with them on LinkedIn and not just connecting with them, but actually uh, making it personable to them and to their experience, so that they know why you're reaching out. You know that's that's really important. Um, getting involved in your local community is also important too. Huge. Um, Huge. You know, getting involved in your local uh, advertising clubs or AIGA clubs. You know, I've been I've served on the board in AIGA before as well. What's that stand for? Uh, uh, the American Institute of Graphic Arts.
0: See, I would not know that. Now I know that.
1: Yeah, it's a a huge national organization that supports, uh, you know, graphic designers and designers all across the board, across the spectrum. And there's chapters all over the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And the chapters are always doing some amazing things, whether it's uh, mobile design, whether it's, um, you know, environmental design, um, graphic design, advertising. uh, I mean, you name it. There's just so many different ways for. for you to get connected on a local level in the community because that's you're building your reputation as a young professional. Yeah. You know, obviously with COVID right now and having to limit the number of people, you know, depending on what region you're in um, and wearing masks is a little bit different of a challenge than what we've seen and experienced before. Uh, but, you know, going to and showing up at, at events, uh, even now, being a face on a Zoom, you know, conference. Sure, uh, making yourself known is a, is extremely important. And then ultimately, at the end of it all, continuing to push your work. Uh, you know, one of my, my, uh, my friends and mentors actually was was the uh, founder of the uh, Austin Creative Department, Will Chow. Will Chow was a creative director, uh, group creative director, at in has done some amazing work over the years. He now is the, um, uh, I think, global design uh, director at Whole Foods, Whole Foods Market now. Nice. But when I was in his class and when, you know, even just over lunches, you know, that we've become friends, Will would always tell me, uh, find the human truth, because if you can find the human truth in your work, uh, if it's true for you, it can be true for everyone because you're a human too. Uh, and so that's always stuck with me. And then he's also told me over my my years, uh, very pointedly, take care of your book.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know take care of your portfolio yeah because if you take care of your portfolio as a creative your portfolio will take care of you and it took me a while to like really understand what he meant by that but essentially um, as a creative your book is is your reputation and it is your your opportunity for the either open door or open conversation uh, for your next gig and Um, continue to look and scrutinize your work make sure that your work is saying something about you as a creative not about everybody else and not about your agency but what is it about you that you're bringing uh, unique to the world and to you know the perspective and if you continue to perfect your book because your book is never done Um, you continue to perfect it you continue to add work to it and you continue to grow your skill you eventually will get to a point where your book will take care of you, where people will eventually know your name and know and see your work and what it means and the quality of it. Um, mm-hmm. And they will just come to you. They're like, Hey, we're looking for, we're looking for an art director. We're looking for a senior copywriter. We came across your book. We came across your work and you know, heck promote yourself on LinkedIn too. Like yeah, let the world, it. yeah, get after it. Let the world know that you exist and that you're doing stuff. You're, you're connected. Um, so yeah, I think those would be sort of my my uh,
0: my my takeaways. I appreciate that. Um any um just maybe like you're on your computer now, any like bookmarks that you have of like websites or um blogs or anything that you follow, it's okay if you don't know them off the top of your head now. But we want to know the things that industry professionals follow. So as students and recent grads, we can follow those things to keep ourselves up to date. We can also include those in a graphic. But if the, any, of the, any of the top of your head that you find yourself scrolling through when you're at home?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always looking at um, the cans website because what I look at uh, through can actually shows global work and global perspectives um, and diverse work. So I think that's important. I'm always looking at ad week Sure. Uh, you know, ad week is in, is important. Um, I look at medium as well. Medium is a good uh, source for um, content, whether it's, um, whether it's news related. I mean, it could be politics. It could be product design. Um, Uncrate. I I like, I like the style of the, the work and the products of Uncrate. Like it's also a lot of it is just so drool worthy. Uh, It reminds me, you know, and it could be, the most craziest thing from I've seen on create, you know, an article on a handcrafted axe, right?
0: <laughs> it's yeah.
1: like, it's just an axe. But the way it they photo but it draws you in, and the way it's photographed, and the way they write about it, and that, and by the way, that axe might be three hundred dollars. You're thinking like, oh man, I really
0: want to get that. No, and then you, you kind of think like, maybe I can buy that. No, yeah. you no, yourself.
1: you don't need a three hundred dollar ax. like, <laughs> axe. Right?
0: Yeah, I'm at the but, website. I know exactly what this is. I, I yeah. I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, but you look at it, and you, you, you think you do. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah, maybe I do need this four uh, yeah. hundred dollar puffer coat. Yeah, exactly. Six hundred forty-five dollars. Um, I'm looking at right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: exactly. Um, yeah. So I look at XXL create... too. XXL. XXL. Uh, it's uh, it's a magazine and, oh, oh, and yeah, yeah. digital content. I mean, it's music, it's fashion. Yeah. yeah, it's hip hop. Um, and, you know, honestly, hip hop has always driven so many other aspects of our culture, whether it's sports, whether it's fashion and sneakers, whether it's oh, music, yeah. uh, whether it's product. Who had the um, best
0: freestyle then? Freshman. Yeah. Yeah, freestyle. exactly. Exactly. Who, who you, so I, I thought, Uh, who do you think had the best one? Ah, uh, I don't I can't even think of the top of my head. I love yeah. watching those though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends
1: on, I think with freestyles, it depends on the artist and it depends on even just your genre of hip hop, because even that is so right. unique you know uh, i mean the 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 808 beat is so wide um you know do you like you know are you are you a drake fan or are you i, I like buster rhymes right like the east coast yeah. rap um and de la soul and i mean there's so many others out there that so well if
0: you got a playlist that you have we can share it as well yeah i
1: yeah i I follow some really interesting uh playlists some good playlists oh. too.
0: Well, cool. Then we can include any other resources that you have. I'd just email those over to me. What's the best way for our listeners out there to reach out to you, say hello, connect? Is it LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Roy Milton Two, uh, the number two. I I put that in there to uh, because I am I am a junior or a second, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a way to I guess establish my my own identity apart from because you can you know. You can have things mixed up with your parents if you're a junior. Sure. Um, so uh, I've always used the number two in in sort of my branding. But yeah, LinkedIn Roy Milton Two. Uh, I'm also Roy Milton Two on Instagram as well. If you're into sneakers and fashion, hit me up there. We can we can definitely message and and double tap on one another's photos. Um, but yeah. Yes.
0: yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time today to speak with me on the podcast. I think that we'll wrap it up there.
1: Awesome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this entire episode of the Breaking and Entering Podcast. This was Roy Milton. This guy was awesome. I highly suggest you all reach out to him. Uh, VML, YNR is one of the best agencies right now, so uh, get to it. Got to do my shout-outs. Uh, Mikey Malarkey is our audio technician. Buchan Zhang is our creative director. Audrey Nussbaum co-host. Kyle Moore, our strategist. And, of course, the Midnight Oil team uh from the University of Illinois. Thank you all, can't do without you. We will see you all next week with another amazing guest. Bye-bye.